This is your host, Grant Vermeer, Naval Academy Class of 2017, and I'm your Academy Insider. It's my goal to be your guide through the Naval Academy experience by sharing my stories and providing you inside information into the life of a midshipman. Academy Insider is in no way officially affiliated with the United States Naval Academy. All of the content on Academy Insider is my own and does not reflect the views of the United States Naval Academy, the United States Navy, nor the Department of Defense. Hey everyone, and welcome to the Academy Insider Podcast. For those of you who don't know this about me, I am a huge reading fan and I love books about leadership. It's just one of the things that I do. I'm a really exciting person, so in my free time, I spend a lot of time reading leadership books, both fiction, nonfiction, all the above. And one of my personal favorites is Turn the Ship Around by David Marquet. And it's just a phenomenal book documenting his time as a commanding officer of the USS Santa Fe, all the leadership lessons he learned and what he did to turn the USS Santa Fe from one of the worst performing ships with the lowest retention rate in the fleet to the highest performing ship with the largest retention rate in the fleet. There's a ton of really awesome lessons. And so as a result, you know, I just decided to send out an email to see if you'd be interested to come on the Academy Insider podcast, talk about his book, as well as share some stories from his time at the Naval Academy. So I'm really grateful. I think you guys will really enjoy this podcast as he gives some insight into his Naval Academy experience, some of the things he appreciated and wished were a little bit different at the Naval Academy, and then how he took those leadership lessons and turned it into his style when he was a commanding officer of a U.S. submarine. With all that being said, he's also dropping a new book called Leadership is Language here really soon, so he takes the time to describe what that's going to be all about. I think you guys are really going to enjoy this episode, so make sure to tune in and uh, let me know what you think. Leave a review. Thanks. All right. Hey, sir. Thank you so much for joining us on the Academy Insider Podcast. I really appreciate having you on. Yeah, thanks for having me and welcome to all the listeners out there. Thank you. Absolutely. Before we get started, uh, if you don't mind just telling the audience a little bit about your midshipman self. So what company you're in, what major you're in, a little background about you as a midshipman, as well as how you ended up at the academy. Yeah, I was a little snot-nosed know-it-all midshipman back in <laughs> 1977 when I, um, my birthday's in September, so I was 17 years old when I started at the Naval Academy. Oh, wow. 1977 was a different world than where we are today. And for those who were there, they'll remember we had the Cold War. And it's easy to forget that we didn't know who was going to win. And I was this geeky geek in, on the math team and the chess club and that, that kind of thing when I was in high school. And we had this, this conflict, the Soviet Union, and I felt very passionately about constitution of the United States, that the United States, that represented a better way of organizing human society. So what is a geeky, introverted kid to do? I said, well, I'm going to join the military, but I read about these things called submarines. The job is to hide from people. And I was like, that's exactly what I want. And the sort of the mental chess game that happens on underneath the ocean really appealed to me. So I applied to the Naval Academy and I got rejected from all the traditional nomination sources. Neither Massachusetts senator nor my local representative had me in the top 10. Jeez. But so I went for the Hail Mary, which was the <laughs> vice president. I don't know. Most people don't know, but the vice president actually gets one person every year. 
Mm-hmm. And so I applied to, it was Nelson Rockefeller at the time, and I, he, I was the guy that he picked. So I thought that was really interesting that yeah. I couldn't make it past Paul Saunders, but somehow <laughs> in any event, I was on my way and I was super excited, 17 years old, think you know everything, idealistic, and you show up. And uh, I was assigned to 27th Company. Okay. We were on... I think it was five one. I can't remember. It was five one or six one. It's hard hard to believe. I can't even remember that. But anyway, we're on the fourth <laughs> floor, halfway back, Bancroft Hall, and it was I. It was great. I got in trouble with my firstie. I had this really obnoxious firstie. The technical term was asshole. <laughs> and, and this guy was terrible, and, and I was smarter than this guy and better looking and more athletic and all the other kind of stuff. So of course that was a bad place to be. And he was trying to make my life as hard as possible. Near the end of plebe year, he says, so no, it was actually plebe summer. He said, near the end of plebe summer, he says, so what do you think? What do you think? And midshipman Marquet. And I said, well, that's it. And, and, and this thing popped into my head. Well, we, 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 we get up every morning and we do PT and then we do, sailing and then we we go to some a little bit of class but not nothing really serious and and then we go and do sports and then and then we get to eat all we want and we get like lemon chiffon ice cream and the comes in huge tubs and for some reason for some reason i said it's kind of like summer camp this was not the right thing to say (laughs) all the other plebes got carry on which means that they they basically got to be treated like human beings at that point, okay. but not me because I didn't I hadn't quite and quite gotten the indoctrination for what I was supposed to say was oh my god this is so hard it's <laughs> unbearable and you uh, anyway uh, so that's because I had a bad habit of speaking what I felt and the truth <laughs> which. It served me well in life, but not always well in the Navy. <laughs> um, <laughs> absolutely. And so after you finished that, went to plebe year, what did you actually study at the academy? What was your major? I was a physics major. My dad was a physicist, so this made him very okay. proud. Of course, I didn't get a PhD, so he was, there was always a little disappointment there. <laughs> I was a physics absolutely. major. And I was on this fencing team and the track. I did track fencing. Mm-hmm. I guess that's it. Fencing was a lot of what I did. Okay, absolutely. And, and now that uh, you have time to look back on your time at the Naval Academy, when I talk to people, they're like, Ooh, if you ask me a question of how my Naval Academy experience was and you asked me right after graduation, I'd have a very different answer then as I do now. So Kind of how do you feel about your Naval Academy experience now, basically being where you are today? Well, it allowed me to serve the country and to go into this amazing thing, the submarine force, and to command a nuclear-powered submarine and to contribute to winning the Cold War, which was an amazingly satisfying part of my life. Mm-hmm. But there was a lot of the Naval Academy experience that I felt was misguided or unnecessary, maybe. Mm-hmm. And 
One of the things I remember, I don't, hopefully we don't do this anymore, but when you're a plebe and you have a different uniform and you have this neckerchief and you have to, un, you tuck it in when you sit at the table and you untuck it when you get up, you're supposed to. And if you forget to untuck your neckerchief, then the upperclassmen would put you in this sort of bunny hop routine that you'd have to do down the town hall. Do, do we still do this? <laughs> uh, I have not seen that in my time. Oh, okay. So, but, but basically it was education through humiliation. Mm-hmm. And some people say, oh, that's how you learn because you'll be so embarrassed. You'll never do this bunny. You never want to do it. So you'll never forget to untuck your neckerchief. And I was always the guy who, so first of all, I'd be the first guy to forget. Right? I always had us all, all these weird things playing on in my head. I was always thinking about stuff. And it typically had to do with, you know, five years in the future, not like what's doing right then. And so, so I suffered through it. But then I was that, but that I said, well, what does hopping like a bunny have anything to do with untucking your neckerchief? And oh, by the way, I could kind of blame the table because why did they let the guy go? Isn't mm-hmm. the team? We keep talking about teamwork, but then we punish the individual. And yeah. people were like the, the first class, well, what? What are you uh what huh? And they give me like this weird, you know, uh doe eyes, like mm-hmm. what, what was I talking about? And so I did have some experience like, like, like that where I was like, I don't understand how bunny hopping makes you remember to pull your neckerchief out. And so there were things like that that stuck with me, but, but I don't want that to color the whole, the, my impression. The value was an intimate sense of history, legacy, and the ability to contribute to defending the Constitution, which I believe is a very important document in human history. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And then you kind of mentioned some of your a little bit of frustrations with the Naval Academy and that were there any other either followership or leadership experiences you had at the Naval Academy that specifically influenced how you wanted to lead in the fleet? Yeah, so there was a book, we, we got a book Naval Leadership, you got one, I got one. And <laughs> so behind me, look, here it is. <laughs> you guys can't see this on the podcast, but I'm holding my my leadership book from 1980. Fundamentals of Naval Leadership. Fundamentals of Naval <laughs> Leadership. Yeah. Let me open up page one. You can hear the pages. Page one, leadership, a concept. So this is the first error. Leadership is not a concept. Leadership is a practice. Mm-hmm. Okay, so leadership can be defined as the art, science, or gift by which a person is enabled and privileged to direct the thoughts, plans, and actions of others in a manner so as to obtain and command their obedience, their confidence, their respect, and their loyal cooperation. Page one, chapter one. Highlighted even. (laughs) Well, I highlight it. I highlight it. And you know, because you know why? I said, get me some. Get me some of that. And I would go places. And for the next 15 years, I was really good. I would, they would send me a place. Uh, for some reason, they, they just accidentally sent me, just started sending me these places that were broken. And then I would fix them. So I put my math team hat on, my geek hat. I would say, okay, now stop this. Do this. You're screwed up. Don't do that. Leave the thinking to me. Just do what you're told and everything will be fine. No one will get hurt. And that worked really well. And then they thought I was awesome. So they got promoted. 
And so he's like, well, you do such a good job telling people what to do. We're going to make you a submarine captain. And I was like, great. I'll get to tell a whole submarine's worth of people what to do. Uh, and that's what my book is about because it turns out that's actually – that only gets one dimension. It gets the doing mm-hmm. part and compliance part of human beings, but the most powerful part, the thinking part, the creative part, the proactive part, the full contribution part comes only when we stop telling them what to do. Mm-hmm. So I had to rethink all my leadership, and I created a, a submarine where we I never gave an order as a captain mm-hmm. because I didn't need to because they all came to me all day long. Here's what's happening. Here's what I intend to do about it. Here's what's happening. Here's what I intend. Here's what's happening. No one said, here's what I'd like permission to do this mm-hmm. because that poaches ownership. We say, oh, it's your job. Have ownership. Okay, but then you got to come check with me 47 times a day. Mm -hmm. It means it's my job. I have ownership. Yeah, and and how did you foster that culture on the Santa Fe? Because, I mean, generally the submarine force before that has operated so heavily on that top-down leadership approach with the submarine captain as the end-all authority. Yeah. Uh, How did you get your crew to, to trust you and to basically embrace that idea and start to think and kind of have that leader, leader model, vice a leader follower model. Well, I changed my behavior Mm -hmm. in the past. I always thought, well, the leader's job is to change other people's behavior. When I say you're empowered, what I really mean is I need you to do something different than you've been doing. Mm -hmm. I want you to take initiative. I want you to be proactive. I want you to speak up. I want you to challenge my bad orders. You, mm-hmm. you, you, you. So this is flawed. So the, the correct approach is what do I do? How do I behave? What, how, do, how, do, how do I set a structure of communication? The, my favorite phrase, my favorite question to my officers all day long was what words are going to come out of your mouth to make that happen? I, mm-hmm. I want the team to speak up. Okay, so what words are going to come out of your mouth? Maybe no words. Maybe you just go look at them. And they're going to say, hey, we got a problem. Okay. What are you going to do about that? No, you're going to tell us what to do. No, I'm not. You're going to tell me what you think we should do. You know, so anyways, all yeah. day long we had these conversations. And and in a sense, it was frustrating. Well, first of all, I wasn't very good at it. <laughs> because I always had this urgency. Oh, I know, mm-hmm. I know, I know what you do. Do it. Oh, darn. I told you what to do once again. Mm-hmm. And... So you have to kind of bite your tongue and you say, oh, okay, well, why don't you guys go noodle on that for two minutes? Mm-hmm. <laughs> the need to be long. And then come tell me, if I weren't here and you guys just have to do this on your own, I, I had a heart attack right now and you just got to make this, what would you do? And they would mm-hmm. come, come back, and the engineer and the weapons officer, and they would say, okay, well, here's what we did. Here's what we think. We would do A, B, C, D. I, and then my job was easy. Like, okay, great. Why don't you guys go do that? And then they're like, yeah. oh my gosh, they let us do what we wanted. Because that gives ownership. And that means the next time they come to you with an idea, they know you're going to say yes. Mm-hmm. The deal I made with my guys was, if you come to me with the word intent, if you say, I intend to blah, 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 you already have permission to do blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Only if you hear... I get to ask questions, by the way, <laughs> but only if you hear no, do you not do it. So I'm already pre-approving everything that you say 
Yeah, if you attach the word intend to it. Now, if you say, here's what I'm planning on doing, it's a little bit different. Then maybe have a conversation. But here's what I request permission. That's clearly I'm waiting for permission. Mm-hmm. Is if you say, I intend to submerge the ship and you don't hear anything, then you order the ship to be submerged. If you say, I request permission to submerge the ship and you don't hear anything, then you wait and the whole organization waits. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And so you talk about this concept uh, in your book, Turn the Ship Around. Kind of, if you don't mind just explaining a little bit about the book for people who are not familiar with the book. And then two, if you talk a little bit about how you went, and you talked about it a little bit already, but how you really built in the factors of control, competence, and clarity into that leadership or that leader-leader model on board and kind of the things that you had your command triad focus on and try and encourage your crew to do. Yeah, we call it Turn the, Turn, Turn the Ship Around. It's a great book. It's a story, but it's also very detailed and practical. So I wanted to make sure that the reader knew what we did. So, for example, you're going to read a, every leadership book says something like, well, take care of your people, listen to your – but they don't – like, that's it. Well, how? What? What do you mean by that? What, what, what does it sound like in a meeting? What does it sound like in a one-on-one conversation? And so mm-hmm. I give the actual words that we used from the things that we did on the ship. Yeah. So that's, one guy wrote, it was, it's Harvard Business School meets Hunt for Red October, which I really like. <laughs> There's like two H's means it's alliteration there. <laughs> so, and it's the story of what happened on the submarine. And the hook is we went from worst to first in terms of performance and retention. But the real story is that in the next 10 years, 10 of the officers became submarine commanders. Mm-hmm which is a hugely disproportionate number. And it shows the power of the approach because if you just tell people what to do, you're not building them into leaders. And I always had this, I always called it opposite day. And I would take some idea. They said, well, there's something that we're thinking that we're not, it's so common. It's so taken for granted. We don't even realize that we're thinking it. And what if it what if the opposite's actually true? And I would I play these mind games with myself and I have different just to amuse myself when I get bored, typically when the adults are speaking. <laughs> and uh, I know there's some really smart guys out there. But, um, so one of them was, well, why do we have leaders and followers? What if that's actually not a good structure? It's just everyone assumes there's going to be leaders and followers. Some people make decisions and the rest of the people execute them. Well, can we get the people who execute the decision to also be the people who make the decision? Can we let the doers be the deciders? And Mm -hmm. I kind of playing with this in my head and I kind of convinced myself that it was worth trying. That was a viable enough idea that was worth trying. And that's basically sort of was this genesis of the idea that I need the team, plus the fact that when I came to the ship. So at the, 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 the other part of the story is at the last minute, I was shifted to the Santa Fe, which is a ship I wasn't trained for. So I didn't know the specifics. I tried to give orders, couldn't. The officers would do what they were told anyway, dangerous. And therefore, we had to come up with a different approach. And the normal approach is, well, I'll keep giving bad orders and you guys fix them. And I'm going to put the burden on you. But in this case we tried something different, which is I'm going to stop giving orders and you guys are going to come tell me what we need to do. So we're going to flip mm-hmm. it. And it was like, it was brilliant. And it was, it was amazing. It was full of energy. And, and immediately things got better for me and everybody. 
Yeah. And it truly is an amazing story. What prompted you or inspired you to to then share the story and actually write the book? Yeah. So that's a story too. So what happened <laughs> was I had this great experience and then I ended up, I spent another almost 10 years in the Navy. I rose to the ranks. I ended up in the Pentagon. I got out of the Navy. I was moping around the house. And then I get a call from one of my JOs. So two two things happen. First of all, mm-hmm. I was like, well, you got to, you got to go do, I, I had a medical, I'd get out because of medical. Mm-hmm. And I was going to, I was starting my own company sort of as a consulting subject matter expert kind of deal. Mm-hmm. And I had uh, a JO and my JOs called me and says, Hey, I've been selected to be submarine commander. I'm the 10th one. I was like, whoa, I'm telling you guys. Like I knew there were a bunch, but I really wasn't counting. Mm-hmm. And I told, I told my wife and she's like, well, that's the story. Don't do this other thing. Tell the mm-hmm. story. And I'm like, no, no, I'm an engineer. I'm not a word engineer. <laughs> and so here's a little secret. English is the only thing at the Naval Academy I got a B in. Everything else I got A. Every other thing. Even gym class, except for English, I got a B. And I was like, no, that's not a good idea. That's not, it doesn't fit ranks. But like any good engineer, I kind of stripped it down to ground zero. I started reading Aesop's fables and I started to uh, map out what story structure looked. Anyway, blah, blah, blah. So I ended up writing the story. But what I wanted to do was I wanted to add a, the voice, what I thought was the true voice of, the, of a leader who had fears, who had uncertainty, who didn't know whether it was going to work the loneliness, the anxiety, the self-doubt, the vulnerability, but also the idea that leadership is about making the lives of other human beings better and letting them be more than they think they could ever be. And if you do it right, you create 10 submarine commanders or 10 chiefs of the boat or 10 people who start their own company from your company and you're creating leaders, not just more followers who are simply extensions of your will, because that is going to be what robots do in the future. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And so the crazy thing is that I know now from firsthand experience that a lot of what you have written in this book, the processes, the language have been adopted by the submarine force. Yeah, how does that, that, how does that cool. make you feel? Well, it's awesome. It's, it, it was by stealth. It was by, because my 10 guys went out and they did it. It was like a virus we injected into the system. So, mm-hmm. and I don't think everyone's doing it. My son's a, a submariner now, right? Mm-hmm. Now, and he's at sea. And, you know, I can say, well, I'm not sure everyone's doing it quite right. And they don't really understand why and blah, blah, blah. But it doesn't really matter. I think uh, there's a lot of value in what happens. And then you see, you know, sadly, the Navy, the Navy, the surface Navy had these tragedies in the Pacific mm-hmm. Ocean. But I was very happy to see. And I, it wasn't, you know, the submarine force hasn't had something like that. Yeah. But you read those reports, it's like, oh, my God, it's so bad. How, how could it be so bad? Anyway, yeah, no, it makes me feel uh, it's very gratifying because I can tell you on the Santa Fe, Mm-hmm. We went from three out of 33 people re-enlisted. The 12 months before I got there, three out of 33 re-enlisted. And 30 mm-hmm. people hated the Navy so much, they, they said, I'm out of here. Yeah. The next 12 months, 33 out of 33 people re-enlisted. 
And so more importantly than the fact that that saved the taxpayer probably four or five million dollars in training and recruiting fees, Mm-hmm. Is that the lives of these people were simply better. And so we know that the lives of human beings are better. That's what leadership is about. Yeah, absolutely. And so generally in the military, especially in the submarine force, uh, they always preach and we always know that words matter. Like that is a big thing for us. How you speak, the words that you use, all of that matters. And that was very apparent by kind of like you're saying, you're switched to encouraging and almost mandating that your officers and your crew use the word like I intend, I intend to do something. And I know you plan to release a book here soon about that exact topic. Can you talk a little bit about your new book coming out? Yeah, thanks. So I see you've got your uh, basketball jersey on the wall behind you. <laughs> and I, I, I will tell you that leadership is much more like a sport Mm-hmm. Or, or language. Leadership is a language. In fact, that's the name mm-hmm. of the book. Leadership is language. Mm-hmm. Because the way you, if you want to talk about being a, a, an air conditioning technician or whatever, the way you interact with the world is with your hands and, and that kind of thing. You do stuff. Mm-hmm. But leadership is the only way you interact with humans, other humans, is with language or something that's sketching. But the language, and, and so the way we talk to each other is exactly where the leader should focus. And it turns out, as I was thinking about it, so again, it was like this is one of these opposite day kind of thought experiments, was where does our language come from, and are we secretly being programmed to use an unhelpful language? And you know the scene in The Matrix where there's this like glitch in The Matrix, and you see just momentarily... Yeah. You get this hint, things might not be what they <laughs> think they are. And mm-hmm. like that was happening to me like seven times a day. <laughs> and I felt when I would, so someone comes up to you and says, hey, I think uh, I got a better idea. Like, what are the next words that come out of your mouth? Language matters. And most people, their response is something from, well, well no, you're wrong. Let me explain why. Mm-hmm. To maybe... Well, have you thought about this? You know, did you think about safety? Oh, my God, I never did. Like, thank you so much for reminding me. And that's annoying as well. And the, I think the most helpful response is to actually one of curiosity. I always say to myself, what does this person see that I don't see? What do they know that I don't know? And my mm-hmm. job is to uncover that, as opposed to defending my position. But I always felt... My first instinct is to defend my position. But then if I pause and think about it, I'll like go, well, hey, tell me more about that. I always felt like I was reprogramming myself. So the book is called Leadership as Language. And it's basically that we've been programmed by the industrial age for a language that's specifically about controlling and compliance and getting people to do stuff. It's an emphasis. So, so. Are you in a can-do organization? Oh, I would say, how many of you are, want to be in a can-do organization? Everyone raise their hand. I said, how about a can-think organization? I don't know. That sounds weird. Never heard about it. Okay. Well, I, I, I would. my hypothesis is that I think thinking is more important than doing. And if you mm-hmm. thinking is a trigger to getting better doing. Yeah. So, but the fact that can-do is so prevalent and can-think is so rare in the language is just one sign that we've been programmed by the industrial revolution and our language comes from the past. We carry it with us. So what we need to do is reprogram our language. So I, 
since I'm an engineer, I'm like that. I'm re-engineering the language mm-hmm. in a way that add, that gets the thinking. What the language of thinking is better is different than the language of doing. Not better, but it's it's different than there's there's two different languages. So you're switching between like French and Spanish all day long. The language of thinking, the language of doing. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So that's what about. I'm super excited. Comes out February uh-huh. 2020. Leadership is language. Fantastic. And I know there are a ton of people who are listening to this podcast that want to learn more about you, read the books that you have, watch your leadership nudges and all the different awesome things that you do to promote leadership advice. If they wanted to learn more about you, more about your books, or basically kind of discover more of the things that you have put out, where would you send them? So our program is called Intent-Based Leadership because this word intent is so important for mm-hmm. us. So the website is, wait for it, intentbasedleadership.com. <laughs> you get, uh, there's also a website under my name, but mm-hmm. intentbasedleadership.com. And we have a thing called leadership nudges, which are little hints and things that you can do. Mm-hmm. Uh, One-minute videos, and they come out every uh, Wednesday. We have... I've been doing this for over five years, and so there's a YouTube channel. You can subscribe on the website or enroll in these nudges, or you can uh, go to the YouTube channel, Leadership Nudges. Connect with me on LinkedIn, L. David Marquet, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, whatever, whatever, whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. And I would encourage all my listeners to subscribe to those nudges. I watch all of them. I have seen all of them gone through the, <laughs> the YouTube channel and they're fantastic. Like they're very easy to digest. Like you saying, one minute videos, just little things that you can think about how you can actually change your action or behavior to accomplish some of these things, not just provide this high level thought of, you know, take care of your people. So exactly. well, how do I do that? So, exactly. um, sir, I really appreciate you taking the time to come on and discuss your different books and some of your, your thought into all of this and leadership as well. But before we wrap up, I do ask all former midshipmen uh, a lightning round of questions. Um, so if you don't have anything else or if there's not anything else you would like to say to the audience, we'll jump right well, into these questions. Yeah, launch it. Uh, do I get to say pass right. if I don't like the question? <laughs> absolutely. If you want to, you can absolutely oh, okay. pass. All right, all right. <laughs> so the first question is, what is your favorite spot on the yard? Favorite place to be? It will have to be the fencing lodge, uh, fence, the fencing shack, which is up in okay. Dahlg- and Dahlgren Hall. In Dahlgren. Adequately. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. So uh, definitely, not, definitely a unique answer. It's hot and smelly. Yeah, it's probably unique. Hot and smelly. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I don't know. I just keep going. <laughs> so. Might not compare to some marine food, but what what's your favorite meal in King Hall? Mexican meal. Ooh. Yeah, that's always a good one. <laughs> yeah, um, the fun ice cream. We already mentioned that. <laughs> In regards to, so I, I did a episode back last fall about signature sheets at the academy. I don't know if they had signature sheets back when you were a midshipman, but was there anything you specifically did when trying to, as an upperclassman, would make your plebes do in order to get to know you? No, <laughs> no. <laughs> well, why do I want them to get to know me? <laughs> so nowadays, I mean, more than like get to know you, just actually know your name and learn your name and recognize face to name so they can address oh, each hey, other. But... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was not a problem. That was not a problem. 
Um, <laughs> um, I love my absolutely. <laughs> All right. Next question. So I don't, not- I don't know what a signature. I don't even know that. I never even heard of this thing. <laughs> what, what are what, they? Yeah. So now basically it's literally a sheet of paper printed out with a roster of all the upperclassmen in your company. And everyone and have them sign it. Correct. Once they, yeah. and they can give you tasks or they can, whatever it is, but in order to get to know them a little bit and recognize face to name, it's just a, a means of making sure that the plebes get around to learn all the people in their company. Yeah. I think that's probably a good. Idea. I mean, something that creates a human connection is probably a good idea. Yeah. All right. Moving on to the next question. You're, you're an author yourself. What is your favorite book that you've read? Oh, well, it depends. Like the, for me, in terms of leadership space, mm-hmm. Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey was had mm-hmm. a huge impact on me, Out of the Crisis by Deming, The Visual Display of Quantitative Information, Tough Tongue Twister by Edward Tuff, How to Talk to Kids So Kids Will Listen, Listen So Kids Will Talk by... Faber and Maslisch, all hugely impactful books for me. But but I love like my my I love history and I science fiction. So I was reading like Isaac Asimov, Robert Heinlein, history books, Walter Isaacson. You see behind me that uh, history books, uh, Seven Frigates comes to mind. A great book about. The building the navy for the Revolutionary War. Hmm. Uh, basically, any book written by Churchill or about Churchill will go on my list. Along with lots of World War II books. Oh yeah, a lot of history books. Love the history. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then, what is your greatest memory, favorite moment, whatever it is, from your four years as a midshipman at the Naval uh, Academy? So, 1980, we're getting our butts kicked. Uh, we've had um, setbacks in the Cold War. We seems like we're losing to the Soviets. We've had this funk of Vietnam. The Iranians took our hostages. We had high, hugely high levels of inflation. The price of gold was super high. And uh, we had the gas and oil shocks. And then we go to the Olympics, and the Soviets are like nine feet tall. And we play... The U.S. hockey team plays the Soviet hockey team in the 1980 Olympics. And you can watch the movie, Herb Brooks was the coach. I don't remember the name of the movie, but it's you got to watch the movie. Mm -hmm. And so we're all sitting in our little company, little rooms. No one had iPads then. So you had to get together to watch TV together. And no one had headphones or anything like that. So we're all watching it together. And it's just unbelievable. The U.S. is beating the Soviets and all of Bancroft Hall. There's no air conditioning back then either. So yeah. all the windows were open. And all of Bancroft Hall was just erupting in this crazy cacophony and noise. And you could stick your head out the window into the interior sort of courtyard area. And it was yeah. just, everyone was just screaming and going crazy. And it was just the first time, like, I had felt that, like, it, we were, like, one organism. And we were ready. We, after that, we were going to go. We didn't need to sleep for 40 days. We were going to go <laughs> ass on anything forever. And it was epic. Mm-hmm. And it was 
I can see the crappy brown couches right now, and I love them. I have a love for crappy brown couches that my wife hates because of this memory. It was just so, it was about camaraderie, camaraderie and fellowship, and it was just amazing and purpose and meaning. Yeah. Anyway, that's it. My job for me. I'm done. <laughs> love it. Uh, all right. Final question. What advice? I said that was it. That was it. That, that was, was it. That. All right. Yeah, <laughs> That's my, my drop. We're good. We're my done. drop. I'm out. That's, Boom. That, <laughs> That's great. All right. Well, sir, thank you so much for coming on the Academy Insider Podcast. Really, really appreciate you taking the time to be here. Yeah. And and, and congratulations to the listeners. Uh, you've gone to Naval Academy. I'm sure you recognize the special place that it is. And if you're thinking about going... It's amazing. You can do things with your life that you probably never even imagined you could do. And it all starts there. Absolutely. Thank you so much. And uh, for all the listeners out there, uh, thank you for listening. I hope you have a great day. If you were screaming out Miracle, you are absolutely correct. That is the movie we were trying to reference in regards to the 1980 U.S. hockey team. Highly recommend you watch it. It's a fantastic film. But thank you so much for listening to the Academy Insider Podcast. Really appreciate it. Please leave me a review and be sure to subscribe to the Academy Insider Podcast. And if you want to learn more about the United States Naval Academy or the Midshipman Experience, check out my website, www.academyinsider.com or my Facebook page, Academy Insider. Thank you guys so much for tuning in today. You can go to the show notes for links to everything that we talked about today, all of the books, all of the courses, all of the videos, everything like that. So make sure to check out the show notes for all of that information. Otherwise, thank you guys so much for tuning in and I really appreciate you letting me be your guide to the United States Naval Academy.